Yeah, yeah, definitely. So then we need somebody to look up to for who working hard and that shit paying off and they stand down, bang, you yeah. know, keeping faith, whatever, whatever. Definitely look to Ed, man. So, yeah, never give up on yourself, bro. A lot of us, you know, look up to you from a distance or up close, you know, for our own inspirations and keep us motivated. So, yeah. Welcome to the Dreams by Any Means Motivation Station. I'm your host, Ed Doxon. Uh, today, I have another very special guest. I know I say that every episode. But um, today really, really is a, a very special guest, a very familiar face, very familiar name, um, a person that's impacted many lives here in the District of Columbia, specifically the youth, uh, myself being one of them. Um, I am proud to have Mr. Harry Thomas Jr. live and direct here on Dreams by Any Means. Wow. I'm proud to be here with you, Ed, because yes. first of all, you're a McKinley High School graduate. Four five. I remember the change that you and your fellow students went about when I was on the council and yeah. my willingness to come down and march down to City Hall with you and give you a platform is what really I think politics should be about as we talk about where we're going. And also you are a HBCU grad. Yeah, for sure. Bowie State grad and you a Dale State grad and you know I had two of my sons went there and, mm-hmm. and, and so I just you know I, I'm just really pleased to see the progressive kind of approach you've taken to this. So thanks for having me. Yeah, no, no, no. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for being here. And, um, you know, to explain more of what the platform is to you, um, you know, kind of explained earlier, but um, Dreams by Any Means is like, that's my Instagram name, my Twitter name. Any Means is like, a, I would say, a, a thing that I live by where I apply to like, when I got challenges in my life, or I apply to like, I want to get something done. And it's funny, like, it just came through. I was in college one day in my dorm. I had a picture of Malcolm X and MLK. And one said, I have a dream, and one said, by any means necessary. So it's funny man, <laughs> you say that because, you know, I speak for restorative justice. Mm-hmm. Um, as a council member, I did a lot of legislation as a council member that I never thought would affect my life yeah. until what happened to me in my life. Yeah. And you named some heroes, you know, um, Malcolm X, of course, what he went through and how he became a powerful impact. And then also Martin Luther King, you know, what he went through and, um, the incarceration that he went through was a little different because it was for social justice. Right. But it's incarceration to say. He understood yeah. those conditions. And so as I sit here with you and we talk about dreams by any means, I think my campaign is not just about me running anymore. Yeah. It's about we have a city where people are returning and there's no place for them to go. Right. Um, and I will tell you this for me, had I not had a stable situation, had I not had a wife that was Truly, when people talk about ride or die, they don't understand, you know, the family structure that I had to be able to return home. Um, And the impact, I tell people this, and I want to say this from the bottom of my heart, not only does this affect me, but first, let's start with the people who work for me. My staff was displaced. Their lives were changed. They Mm -hmm. had a negative footprint on their lives forever. And I think that for me, my coming back and doing what I have to do shows, my staff was one of the hardest working producing staff that's ever been in that district building. Yeah. Um, I can tell you people like my chief of staff, Ayana, who was Yeah, I remember Ayana needs to be on it. On it every day, you know, yeah. working hard. So I hope I can uplift them through my movement. Neil, who came from Parks and Rec, who probably knew more history about this city and how the government worked and mm-hmm. was in my eyes and ears. Unfortunately got tagged with a situation because in federal cases, you know, people um, when that door is open, they go after whoever they can. And, right. And while I tell this to all the people listening, you know, I just accept the responsibility, not just for me, but for everything that happened in my office. So I felt that I should 
bear the mark of what happened to me and not my staff mm-hmm. because they worked under my direction. Right. I think that's what true leadership would do. Um, I was asked one time, hey, you know, how would my father feel? And I said, he would feel proud because it's not what you do when life is good. It's what you do when adversity smacks you in the face yeah. and how I stood up and, and took it. Right. And so I'll let you ask questions about different things. We have a new war five. I understand that yeah. people moving here, but it can't be a new versus old thing. Right. Um, what the new people will hear is what happened to my life. Yeah. And, and the baddest time, what they, what they don't hear is service delivery. Yeah. Constituent services. They don't hear that council member Thomas stood for the, uh, uh, the marriage equity bill in a ward that was really divided about that issue and you had to stand up. And so right. what people need to know about me is I'm going to stand up and be counted yeah. uh, for the right things to do, for human rights, for for legislative opportunities that provide real life things for people. Mm-hmm. Um, marriage equity was one of those things I talk about that. But our seniors, our right. seniors are grossly being misplaced and, and, and pushed out of this ward. They can't age in place. Um, we look at how things are happening for them. And so I had programs that where I really wanted to work on seniors aging in place and being in, in their in their communities. Yeah. And so, you know, those are the kinds of things we talk about. And of course, you talked about the youth aspect. Right, right. Um, you know, I, I want people to look at, you know, people, you know, one of the things that my case did is try to take the one thing that I love more than anything. Anybody knows me, I love doing for our youth. So to yeah. have that tag on my life that I stole from something that I love right. was, was one, something I couldn't bear. Yeah. And so I've come back and, and since I've been back, I've, I have the only girls elite softball program where we put over 20 to 25 girls in college. I work with those young people so, every day. Yeah. Um, and I don't try to proud that and say that, but it's just a fact. People have right. to look at what you do when you come down. Right now I'm running a restorative um, piece where I, my company is District GC. I work here in yeah. Ivy City where we're doing this interview working with returning citizens and hard to place people to connect them to this economic resurgence. Yeah. You know, we got to figure out, you know, why do we lose a guy like you to Florida? Yeah. You yeah. grew up in D.C. That wasn't an opportunity. <laughs> Vegas everywhere. You come back. You, know, you had to go other places yeah. to find a footprint because we didn't provide ample opportunities for you. Yeah. Um, one of the things that happened to you, um, we talked about it, M.M. Washington, vocational school. Right. Where you had a plan. You wanted to be a barber. You wanted to, I mean, what do we do? We stopped vocational. We stopped vocational. And today it's funny, and I was in a barber shop and I tell people those are Gavin plays. I had one of the best conversations ever yeah. about COVID yeah. and, and choices people have to make and educating and I, people. Yeah. And so those places are going away. Yeah. We need to do something about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> something you said that just stuck out to me, man. You said returning citizens coming home and not having a place to return to. Oh. And, um, you know, when I look at the city, um, just being knowledgeable about the city, being close to people that work in that field. So it's like, you know, you have city programs, you got people working on the ground, you got all these different nonprofits. But it seems like there's still so much more to go. So um, from your perspective, what do you think of the missing pieces that allow them to come home and return? Well, one of the things is real critical. And I want to introduce legislation that mandates our government to provide the necessary documentations and a packet. So. You know, one of the things I thought was ridiculous, how can you have people in custody that have a prison ID and that ID is not recognized as a violent ID? Yeah. So when you got to come back and now you got to go to DMV, Whole new process. you got to show all this stuff, but you're in a system. And the irony of that system is, and I was in it, they count you five times a day. You mm-hmm. have a number, you're labeled with a number. Yeah. They know who you are, right? You're in the care of the federal government. So when you come home, um, why shouldn't the jurisdiction you're returning to provide you with a package with your reinstated driver's license if you need it, if not a driver's license and non-driver's ID, uh, social security card, 
Um, so you have the social security card that you need mm -hmm. and any other technical documents that you need right. to make sure you survive. First thing is when guys come home to halfway house, a lot of guys don't even want to come home to halfway house because um, if you come to a, you know, a neighbor's fight halfway houses, we've seen that. Right? right, right. But I try to, you know, I spoke up on that issue when I first came home. They were fighting the halfway house coming to War 5. Yeah. I said, well, where do you want to send these guys? Right. First of all, you're sending them into an environment that you want them to go to where there's somebody monitoring, helping, and guiding their next steps in your community and they're accounted for. Mm -hmm. So the option, and people didn't understand this is the option, you could be in a, in a federal prison, you get the option to come home and say, you got six months in this halfway house. But most guys who've been away for 10 years, six more months where they are is not mm -hmm. going to matter. Right. And so what they say is, I don't want to go to halfway house because then I got to wait to be re-entered in my community. I'll do my six months, get my bus ticket, and get back to D.C. and do what I want to do. Right, right. Now, the, the bad side about that is it's no super, not, not the same kind of level of supervision or same level of aggressive moving back to where you are. You know, I was gone for two and a half years, and I can tell you the change I saw from new construction, new projects, new development, schools closing, neighborhoods where guys once thought was their place, they come yeah. back to, and they're now gentrified, for right. lack of better words, and they can't compete in those communities. Mm -hmm. Those neighbors don't want them there. All they knew was that place, and there's nothing to come back to. Yeah. So we have to be sensitive to that and understand mm -hmm. that you know, I, I, you know, one of the programs I run is trying to connect folks to construction. Well, yeah. I voted for the medical, the marijuana laws when I was there, but yeah. there, there's a misnomer that guys have that believe that, um, well, marijuana is legal. Right, right. Well, <laughs> when you're going to get a federal construction job, isn't that? Isn't that? <laughs> so, you know, we got to understand how we're dealing with the progressive yeah. things that we put in place and how the functionality of those things affects our residents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, you know. I think for, for me, something to begin the conversation I always notice about you, you know, I think you have different politicians that make him be good at, you know, talking about things, fighting things, advocating things. But I know you always were big. You was always big on backing it up with the legislation. Right. But I also know from now, just looking at the council, um, you know, you were there, but also looking at it today. It seems like there's always a, a divide on a lot of issues on the council and specifically, honestly speaking, you know, when it comes to black issues, you know, and then issues, if it's the war five and east of the river. So. Uh, from your perspective, when you were a council member and seeking to get back on the council, how can that those relationships become one where we can really start, you know, Ward 3 can worry about Ward 8 and vice versa? Well, first and foremost, it comes with effective leadership. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, one of the things I tried very hard to do is build what I call the River Coalition with Wards 5, 6, 7, and 8 because we, we boarded. I get those emails. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and I would say all the time. And so what we've happened in Ward 5, first of all, your Ward 5 council member has to represent his constituents first. Right. And fight for them first. Mm -hmm. um, ward 8 Ward 7 has done a magnificent job of highlighting the profile of what they don't have and trying to connect their citizens. Yeah. While we're sitting here in Ivy City with with a medium income of $17,000 in Ward 3, you've got a $235,000 household medium income. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a great disparity in the city. And so when you look at the difference between here's so the ward age disparity is about fourteen thousand dollars mm -hmm. and in household income and so what's you know fourteen and seventeen thousand is not livable in this right that ain't that's... so we're really close to those areas and how do we provide for that and how do we you know one of the projects i worked on in Ivy city was bringing uh habitat for humanity and homes and one of the things unfortunately with my piece was i had a piece where i wanted to make sure people were connected by because you know where i live montana was turned into a townhouse yeah. piece but you had to have programs in place 
to take people from rental renting or being in public housing to now being homeowners mm-hmm. uh, and teaching them, teaching them what you you know the super don't come and fix your washing machine when it breaks down. You're responsible. Right. You have to know what your warranties are. Credit repair. You know, making sure when we repair people's credit so they can now buy that house in the mm-hmm. city help a lot with financial things that put people in those houses, but making sure you understood the first thing you don't want to do is run out here and buy a car. Yeah. Or buy all the things you want. You want to get that house. Yeah. yeah that yeah. house builds equity. Right, right. Uh, and you know, it's been interesting to me. You know, a lot of things have come with people in your generation saying, oh, I don't need to buy a house. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the foundation of America. You know, mm-hmm. that's the foundation of the economic um, stature in this community. And so we need to have a good transition from rental. We need to have you know, they have programs like for young people like you that I can still can't figure out why many of you are not getting um, houses through the programs that they have, you know, these rental units. Yeah, you get on these lists, but you're on these lists for in perpetuity, and then you see people moving to the city right. that are moving right into these places. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we got to have a better monitoring, <clears throat> a better connect with our citizens, mm-hmm. uh, responsibility to you. Um, and I, and I don't even want to get into We talked about public education a little bit with you. Yeah. Um, and what has happened over the years. Let's look at Ward 5. Right. We've lost almost all of our public schools. Mm-hmm. You know, you went to McKinley. You were fortunate. But what people don't know about you going to McKinley is you had to apply to get in there. Right, 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 right. It's not a neighborhood school. Yeah. So I live close. The only neighborhood school right now in Ward 5 is Dumbarton. Yeah. Um, with the issues we're having, with, you know, people talk about, they don't understand the new people that are moving here. The We don't have gangs, but we have neighborhood boundaries. Right. To separate our kids for whatever reason they are. Right, right, so right. you can't just put people in one building yeah. that have beefs. Right. Um, and so, you know, those are the kinds of sensical things we need to do. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I'm not against the charters that have come in. That's not right. what I'm saying to you. Yeah. But let's think of it this way. The charters in most cases come in because the law says that they come to have first access to a public school facility that's vacated. Mm-hmm. But what you lose with that is the public assets for the community. Right. So, you know, you're having these battles, for example, we just redid Edgewood, and there's a battle between the charter school now yeah, and the Beacon House kids. Saw that. On, on yeah, I saw that. It's getting um, hectic. So, the neighborhood kids, why is that? Because when it was a neighborhood school, those kids came out of that school right. and went to Beacon House, and there was a partnership. Yeah. So, what I would say to the charter school is, why aren't you partnering with Beacon House? Mm-hmm. Why aren't you in their program? They're a vibrant program to save lives. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I always tell this story. I remember when I lived on 18th and Bryant Street, there was a kid that would walk by my house coming from where you lived up in Fort Lincoln. Yeah. Every day he walked to Edgewood because the yeah. house was his savior. Yeah. And they had after school programs in Edgewood management, you know, where they had school assistance, they had health and wellness. And they had sports, and they connected these kids, and that was their savior. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I think we got to look at the holistic approach of our community. Right. And that's where I'm at with a lot of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, our next one to transition to, you know, as we was talking about just the change of the city and everything, the challenges. Um, as we all know, uh, the violence is really, really bad. Um, I tell people all the time, I think the city has a history of violence, but I think COVID, it just, once COVID happened, the violence just kind of went up in a different type of way. Well, Part of that is we're putting people in boxes. You know, it's like you say crabs in a barrel. Yeah. When you put a whole bunch of people in one pot and they have nothing else but each other to cannibalize, that's what's kind of is going on in this city. Um, I can I live through the, the you know the bloody days when we had got up to close to five hundred. Now yeah. people say, well, three hundred is not the same. It is. Right. The same. Yeah. It is the same. <laughs> it is the same. We had almost three hundred murders in the District yeah. of Columbia, and no one is addressing. 
the root cause of the issues that are causing this to happen. Well, when you put people and are not connecting them to the economic prosperity of this city, they're left with some very challenging challenges. And generally, it, it facilitates themselves with them taking it out on each other first, right. because that's what's available mm-hmm. closest to them. And them feeling like they're not important anyway. Right. They don't matter. And, and so we treat that kind of like that. You know, you know, I can remember one thing about them. We were going through the bloody days that they want to call when we had the gun violence and other things in the earlier history. Yeah. You heard about it on the news all the time. Now it's like a secret. Now it's like, oh, another dude got killed, so what? Right, right. You know, I mean, come on, this is life. Yeah. If it- and we got to deal with that and be out here and talking to people and figuring out what those causes are mm-hmm. and figure out how we reach them. I think one of the biggest problems is we don't listen to the people in our community. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing about my campaign. Now. I want to have listening sessions. Mm-hmm. I want to do what I did. And you know, people talk about progressive. How did African Americans get labeled non-progressives? We've been more progressive than anybody right. <laughs> So when you talk about the new council and you talk about these progressives running the council, mm-hmm. what's being left out the equation? Yeah. Marion Berry was progressive. John right. Wilson was progressive. Yeah. Harry Thomas Sr. was progressive. Yeah. Harry Thomas Jr. was progressive yeah. in the council. So we, you know, and you know, you know, I, when you came to me, you know, they want to act like this um, 16-year-old voting thing is new. Right. Your group came to me and asked me yeah. back in 2010. We and was I said, posted Absolutely, up. Absolutely. Post it up. <laughs> they need to start voting at 16. Yeah. So when people look at me and say, why? Because you're able to drive a car. I mean, whether you don't know it or not, a car is life and death. Mm-hmm. So why do they not have the, true. the, the intellect and the ability to make that choice, right? That when you're making life and death choices every day in the car, how you and you're in the city, you catching the trains, right. you're going to east, you've been affected by this, this policy that's been put in put in place. Are you scared of this? You know, I've been a guy. I said we should have same day voter registration. Yeah, you want people to participate in a democracy? Let them stop giving all these barriers. You right, know, these barriers almost like you know if you don't, you know, it's like the poll tax or yeah. people have to have a house or property mm-hmm. to vote. We create barriers. Participation in our society. Yeah. And so we need to eliminate the barriers and let people participate. And that's what I think. So, yeah. And it always seemed like those barriers like target us, like black people, more than anybody else, because we may not be so, like, I think, you know, when it comes to politics, uh, it's no secret. Like, often some African Americans are just not into it. They're not really deep into it. So, a same day voter registration would benefit because, like, you might go knock on the door on Tuesday. Election might be tomorrow. You may win that person over and they say, you know what, I want to go vote for this guy. But if I can't do it the same day, they can't do it. Yeah. And the other thing I would tell you is, and people forget, let's look at history. Let's look at Reconstruction. Yeah. Reconstruction was the most empowering time originally for African Americans in politics. Mm-hmm. But what happened? You know, we talk about gangs. Nobody wants to talk about the gang that changed Reconstruction, the Ku Klux Klan. That was mm-hmm. the first real gang, organized gang. Mm-hmm. But we want to talk about the Crips, the Bloods, right. or the neighborhood crews. But the real gang was at that time right. the racial <laughs> destruction. Because they went out and, you know, people don't you know, know their history. I'm a Democrat today, but I couldn't have been a Democrat back then. Yeah. We were Republicans and they terrorized the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. So, you know, know your history and what happened right. uh, in politics to change, you know, the outcomes of where we were. You yeah. know? And so now we're back at ground zero. Yeah. Uh, we're pitting, honestly, the African-American male against the African-American woman. Right. And we've been a unit. We've been a unit. You know, the strength of our community has been African-American woman. Yeah, and, and so now we sit here, you know, we try to figure out, you know, us, you know, how we move our communities in directions. We have yeah. to get unified. We have right. to figure out 
how we include people in the process. I, yeah. you know, I just told you earlier, I had one of the best conversations in the world in a barbershop with a dude that nobody wants, probably wouldn't want to listen to. Yeah. Why? Because he had a DPW right. working man suit. And he, what does he know? He knows more than you know. Mm-hmm. He listened to him. So that's why it's important to connect, reconnect with people. My campaign is going to be about people. And also it's about restorative justice. It's not just about me. It's about giving hope. Your show's name says that to people. Yeah. To people who have been marginalized and continue to be marginalized. Yeah. And so we <clears> need to, you know, I'm glad to have this conversation with you, you know, because it kind of hopefully will change some of the narrative. Yeah. Of what was presented. Yeah. You know, people don't understand, you know, a, a criminal case is about one side winning and the other side loses. Right. And one side presents his case, and when you plea out like I did, you have to plea out to sometimes some things that yeah. quite aren't always the whole yeah. story. And we know if you don't plea out, it could go another no, way. Okay. So let's talk about yeah. that. You know, we had minimum mandatories. We yeah. Had, you know, how they charge you. Um, and I'm not talking about my case now, because I don't want to get just confused with right. Harry Thomas is complaining. I owned up to what I did. Yeah. I, what, honestly, what I did was allow funds to come back into my control that I had authorized, no matter what good I did with it. It was yeah. wrong technically, and I didn't follow the ethics rules. Yeah. So, you know, I, I paid the price for that. Yeah. I'm willing to say that. But I'm, I paid the price, mm-hmm. and, I, and I owned up to it. Yeah. But let's look at all the other things, all the other intangibles, and that's what I mean about rewriting narratives. That's what these guys have to face when they come home. Right. And when they come home, you know, once a crook, always a crook. Mm-hmm. Once a drug addict, always a drug addict. And, and I'm going to stop you right there. So what's what's interesting to me about that, you know, whether it's a politician, drug addict, whatever, but mainly in politics, and mainly just in people who are well-known have influence. Black politicians are treated very different from other races when a mistake happens or some type of article, something comes out. It's almost like if someone's non-black and they commit a mistake, it gets erased almost. Like, you don't even hear about it anymore. So, with, with the, because I know for a fact of just being here in the city watching different politicians sometimes make those mistakes, I've seen the difference of how the posts where people may report these type of cases. So, with that being, you know, with you knowing that, like, if you were another race, it probably would have been a different narrative. How does it make you feel? Well, I don't, first things first, and I said this, you know, my dad, when I was raised, used to always say, you have to be 10 times better, three times sharper. Whenever. I see that. So, every I day. will say to people this, I'm not even going to get into that because yeah. I don't, you know, the evidence. You look for the evidence and people decide on their own. But the evidence for us is we have to do better. We have to hold ourselves to a higher standard. And I let my community down when I forgot that. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I just think it's hold yourself to that standard. I think people, when they question what's going to happen, I would be the biggest fool to ever go down any path like that again. And I think God uses us in different ways. Um, I'll tell you why, you know, one of the things I'm saying, let's talk, look at mass incarceration and how race played into it locally. Mm-hmm. We didn't hear much about D.C. jail until the insurgents that took over the Capitol were placed over there. And so they started saying, guess what? They weren't black. Right, right. You know, they were like, oh, no, this can't be. This <laughs> yeah. is what well, this is jail. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is jail. And what happened? Now 400 people have been moved. 400 people. Now the impact of that is I would, yeah, I don't know, but did those people who were from other places go to places closer to home? Mm-hmm. You know, because our people didn't. They got moved to places further away from home. So ask those questions. Ask what the impact of returning, when you're talking about returning to your community, ask for people who have limited means and income. How do they go see somebody in West Virginia? Yeah. 
in Arizona. Yeah. How do they connect? And people want to say, okay, let's go to video conferencing. There's nothing better in the world than physical contact. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. I was in Alabama when I was away, and, and God bless, man. You don't know how I live to see my family come see me yeah. and spend time with me, mm-hmm. even if it was one time a month. Yeah. You know, because that gave me hope. That mm-hmm. gave me an opportunity. Now these folks come back disconnected to the community, no resources. Um, family members passed family away. Passed away. Nowhere to go. Even when they're away, it's hard because yeah. when you're away, people don't realize. You know, yeah, prison, it should be hard, but there are amenities that you can do through commissary and other things. And yeah. You have nobody send you money to get commissary. Right. You know, so, or the little things that you have, and those are the things that in life connect you to. And so, yeah. you know, I, I just tell people all the time, have a compassionate heart. Understand, yeah. you have people who go away, but do they have an opportunity to be restored and help society? I will venture to tell you this, many of them can help you in ways you don't know. Right. Um, Many of them have been through things, you know. I one of the hardest things for me was, and um, I say this: I had hired a young man who had come home after ten years mm. um, as a council member. He worked on my staff. Okay, one of the best workers I ever had. Yeah, little did I know what was going to happen happen to me. And this guy was my lifeline because he'd been through it. Yeah, he, told me, he said, "Hey, man, you're going to want to get magazines once a month, and yeah, I'm sending yeah. your first subscription." Now people don't understand how important that is. Yeah, you know they call it when you're away. It's love, you know, yeah. letters, like emails, I... and stuff like that, and, and let you know that, that somebody cares about yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so, and when you talk about the human factor, always put the human factor in. Mm-hmm. We look at people when, when they've been portrayed as the most vicious or whatever else. And, you know, I don't, I don't know all the circumstances and everything. Life becomes life and death for some people for different reasons. Yeah. But if they're paying a debt to society, let them pay the debt and let us move on. Right. And that's what my campaign is really highlighting. Yeah, no, no question. I agree. I want to transition next uh, to a question myself, um, being a a person that's had experience working in the human resources field. I'm getting my master's degree in human resources from Towson University. And I'm now following um, the president of the Society for Human Resource Management, Johnny Taylor. And he's been speaking about something that I think uh, has been on my mind when I first entered corporate America. But now he's talking about um, corporate America and organizations also, um, what you just spoke to, um, employing return to citizens, um, putting the return to citizen piece a part of the DE&I outreach, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So, uh, you know, yourself seeking to get back here in War 5, um, you know, over the past you know, number of years, there's been so many changes, different organizations that come to the war. So how would you go about establishing real relationships with these organizations to make sure that they are hiring district residents? And, you know, uh, depending on the field, I know, at the ter- you know, if they're going to hire return citizens, people have different laws. But like, how do you build those relationships? So one of the first things from a legislative point of view, I introduced a piece of legislation um, with co-sponsors called Vanderbox, okay. which meant the initial application, you know, that, you couldn't um, ask if they were um, uh, incarc- formerly incarcerated individuals. Yeah. Now, what I learned was is that by going through that, the reality is when you come to a halfway house, you walk out and you have to tell whoever's interviewing that day that I am incarcerated. Uh, so I'm sitting there saying, imagine me, I'm sitting there saying, <laughs> but I passed legislation that said we didn't have to do that, Yeah. but you had to put that on front display. So I think we got to, one, work with our federal partners first mm-hmm. to make it a more uh, easy you know, transition um, that we have paid that debt to come in. Now, of course, people will say, well, we want to know. We, of course, sex offenders, certain categories, 
that excluded. So yes, there were protected classes that were excluded. Mm-hmm. Um, people that had high security positions or you know, policemen and different things. So there were different standards that were put in place. Yeah. But what I think what you do is a couple of things. These developments, you have to hit them up front when they come in. Yeah, right. So one of the things, I've been a big labor guy. I do stuff with the building trades mm-hmm. and labor is really much in it. So one is I work better with my labor partners to make sure that the jobs they own through project labor agreements right. uh, are are bringing in those people that we're trying to get reemployed. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, not leaving behind those people who haven't been incarcerated, people yeah. who are hard to employ. We need to kind of look at everybody in that same vein. Uh, I think we then have workshops, we have partnership, we have job fairs, we have collaborative efforts with these organizations to ensure that they're looking not just for the returning citizens, because if, if we're returning citizens, we just want to be treated like citizens. Right. So we want a fair shake at the table mm-hmm. um, and not continuously wear that label yeah. um, because, you know, you're born new. So, But, but the reality is we do have to identify. I think the other thing is not just private sector. We need to do a better job in our government jobs, right. providing opportunities yeah. for people. DPW has been a great example yeah. of returning citizens, but don't put people in jobs that are term jobs. Right. Put them in a permanent position so their lives will right. permanently be changed. Right, right. Um, the other thing, you have to change the culture of people. We don't want people to have jobs. We want people to have careers. Exactly. We want to have people to be able to grow. We want to have people that, you know, you know you're in human resources. Yeah. You want people that are going to grow on their job. Anything is stagnant. The reality is, in the new economy, in the new world, people aren't staying in jobs like your right. parents and my parents. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my parents, you know, they retired. Uh, and and I, 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 I joke with my mom, but she went into that old federal retirement system where she gets almost, I think it's 85% of her salary. Wow. Don't add it. Yeah, I wasn't. You better save that money, money now. <laughs> she worked diligently for 40, almost 50 years in government. That's love. Luckily, she's had longevity and has lived to 92 and, and has yeah. benefited from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, they don't have that system anymore. So yeah. we got to look at all those things. Um, and I think we have to be, you know, I think we have to really focus on trades, too. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I tell people, and the big thing is small business development. Right. We need yeah. to have business owners. Yeah. Uh, think about this way. When you have restitution, you're not coming back to a nine to five. You're yeah. off your restitution. Mm-hmm. You need to be an entrepreneur. You need right. to be able to manage your fate and, and do those kinds of things. Yeah. So small business development, I think, is a big And it should start young. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like- uh, I had a young lady yesterday who um, her kids, and I said, well, how, first of all, I'm, I'm asking you a question. I, mean, I have the answer to mm-hmm. it already. You invested in your kids. She started a cell phone repair business for her kids. Mm-hmm. And her kids are making boatloads of money repairing cracked screens, mm-hmm. damaged devices. Wow. Um, but you have Smart. to have somebody that's going to invest and have capital. Fortunately, they had a mom that realized their value. And so mm-hmm. this is my shout out to Lisa Canty mm-hmm. who did that with her kids because, you know, those are the kinds of investments, you know. And I tell our parents, think outside the box. You know, I yeah. just tell my mother all the time when she looks at her grandkids, stop thinking about life as a nine to five for those kids. The mm-hmm. world has changed. Yeah. You know, think about how they can be entrepreneurs, how they can connect to the new economy. And, there's a big challenge of us connecting to folks with that because right. it's not like it was in the old days where you you know you worked at the factory, yeah. you worked in <laughs> the government, and you worked your way up. And it was a you know right now with this new economy, people are jumping ahead of people mm-hmm. because they have an entrepreneurial spirit. So how do we how do we build that and mm-hmm. make it work? For them? Yeah, no, no, for sure. 
And um, you know, in conclusion, man, um, just you know, whatever you would like to leave to the people, not even just around the campaign, but just in general, I mean yourself just being a leader here in the DC community. Well, I would say to this, you know, this is not about new versus old. This is about giving people a fair chance. This is mm-hmm. about, you know, one thing I, I would implore to anybody looking uh, who has come to this city, new or people who are in this city, yeah. don't be in the community, be part of the community. Right. Stop having these separate silos in the communities. Um, one of the things the pandemic did is put us in a silo, you know, where we're we're all in our own box, we're all in our own space. But yeah. the reality of life is we need each other. Right. We need each other to, to survive. We need each other. And also, I would say to people, learn the richness. You know, it's a lot of reason why D.C. has had this surge of people coming here. Because yeah. we're a good city. Yeah. Uh, people forget the council I served on was one of the highest ranked councils as far as connecting to the residents. Yeah. That it was. Mm-hmm. And I had a good constituent service rating. Right. So I just want people to give me a fair and honest shake at this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tell people this all the time. We have good people in this race, not just me. I'm not running against them. We're running to show you who can best bring what you need for War 5. War 5 is at a critical point. Uh, we just lost Soldiers Home, uh, according to this new redistricting map, mm-hmm. and McMillan um, Reservoir, possibly. And I tell people this, you know, I, you know, we were in the margins to not have to have any change. So why did you change us? Right. You know, that happens every 10 years. Mm-hmm. So we've worked as a community, um, listen to the needs of of McMillan. I know I had it. The, pre, the current council member had it. Mm-hmm. McMillan started when my father was trying to. Soldiers yeah. Home, the same thing. And so now we've taken the sweat equity of neighbors that have worked hard to bring those resources to our city. And when they're actually going to come to fruition, moving them out of our war. Right. Um, I, and, and I love Soldiers Home as a council member. I love dealing with those who've served our country and having events. I love taking kids. And, and, and introducing young people like you to yeah. President Lincoln's home right, right. at Soldiers' uh, home, you know, yeah. where the President's College was there. Right. Um, and so that history and those things, uh, why are we losing that significant amount of green space? Yeah. And I know it's going to be developed, but there's still significant green space for yeah. our community that's an asset that we will be losing. So, you know, our council member currently asked that the boundaries not be changed. I guess that fell on deaf ears. So yeah. I asked. One thing I ask from our citizens is participate. Don't mm-hmm. complain if you're not going to get involved. Right. You know, um, don't talk about all these new laws. We think a law is going to change how people's uh, actions are. We have people who are running for office being reelected that aren't even being challenged. Yeah. You're not telling me we don't, in a city of almost, you know, 700 plus thousand people, right. there's nobody, nobody that can right. challenge. <laughs> I think challenge is good. Yeah. I was, you know, my race, I never forget, man. I remember my last race was against Delano Hunter and <laughs> Kenyon McDuffie. Uh-huh. Two brilliant young men. Yeah. It brought the best out of me. That's yeah. all I could take. Yeah. You know, that, that, and, and so, you know, I, I just think that we need to look at that. My first race, I think it was 12 people in the race. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about voting, if those 12 people were out here actively stirring up a campaign, people get involved, whether they voted for me or not. Now, what I learned from all of that is, once you're elected, you represent all the people. Right. And that's what I tried to do. Right, right, right. Open and responsive government, and that's what I bring back. I think people, putting people first, connecting people to what we're doing is what's important. Yeah, yeah. And, and helping you. When you called me, it was no, you know, not right. because of anything, but we got to help young people like you yeah. continue what you're doing. You know, this is a powerful medium. Yeah. Um, and people can take it for what it's worth, but mm-hmm. you've created an entrepreneurship. How do we get you sponsorship, advertising? Yeah. How do we help you get to that next level? Yeah. That's what sure. we need to be thinking about. 
because uh, it ain't going to somebody looking. You have a valued asset. Right. Uh, I'm so proud of my former colleague. I'll give him a shout out, Kwame Brown. He's oh, talking yeah, yeah. real talk. Yeah, yeah. I called him one time. I mean, yeah. You know, it, it, he's 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 providing a service. Yeah. Uh, a, a different voice. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and, and that's what we need in this world. Yeah. So I, I thank you not just for thank you. me doing this, but I thank you for giving an opportunity for restorative justice to be played out in this process. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. No, for sure, man. I appreciate you, Harry. Um, as always, uh, definitely looking forward to, you know, keeping up with the race, um, everything that you have going on. And I look forward to seeing you back in the seat. It will be a strength and honor to God and all things are possible. Already, so, man. Right. Okay. Thank you for tuning into Dreams by Any Means Motivation Station, where hustle plus faith equals success. Stay tuned for the next episode.